You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. In the name of God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. You can have a seat, church. Good morning, everybody. So now that I'm standing up here and about to tell you this story, it sounds really cruel, but at the time of preparing this, it serves the sermon well, so we're just going to tell, I'm going to share it anyway, is that all right? Holding my little brother down while the dog licks his face was uh, just something that we did all the time. It was the sport of brothers, okay? Seth, I'm so sorry. But as kids, this was just like, we, it was just so hilarious, so fun. Back then it made sense. Now it sounds cruel. I've matured since then a little bit. But it, it was so much fun to see my brother being just demolished by the tongue of this disgusting dog that we had. But the trick about this, the thing I learned over many years of doing this to poor Seth and Stephen, was letting go of them and getting out of the way before they could get up and come after you. That was the trick. And to do that well, you had to do it while the dog was still kind of on top of them so that you could make your escape. Anytime that my mom would bust in the room and find us doing stuff like this, I mean, you name it. I remember even holding down Stephen to try and give him a haircut with Seth. All these kinds of things. My mom would bust into the room and it was like all kinds of things would be said. She's, and one of them would be, brothers, boys, why can't you just love each other? Love each other. Dang it. What's wrong with you? Why can't you just love each other? And I remember as my mom is shouting this command at us or something like it, I remember thinking in my head something I would never dare to say out loud to my mom. But intellectually, I was thinking, you can't command someone to love somebody. That's not how it works, mom, right? It just doesn't work. It breaks down. Love is, has to be freely given. It's something we want to give to other people. It's a choice, mom. You can't command us to love one another. But I would never, ever say that with my Mexican mother who would put down any uprising with a wooden spoon. Like, we just knew that, that you didn't go there. But as usual, as typically was usual growing up with my mom, uh, Jesus agreed with her. <laughs> and it seems like so strange. And sometimes to this day, I'm thinking, how can you command someone to love? But this is precisely what Jesus is doing in John 15. Did you catch this? This is my commandment, verse 12 that you love one another as I have loved you. I think if anyone else said this command, if anyone else stepped up to us and commanded us to love one another, it would be way easier to brush aside. But the fact that Jesus is the one who's commanding this, I think makes all the difference in the fact that he can command it. Who else has laid down his life for his friends? This definition of friendship that Jesus even gives us in this context of this passage. And just like the Acts community, we're becoming witnesses of this risen Jesus, not put away in the grave, not confined to some barrier, not, not like emptied of power, but actually the one who has risen, the one who has defeated all barriers, the one who has overcome all things, the one who is in power. This is the one who says these words, love one another, to command us to love one another. But I think to really understand how that's possible, or even truly understand, like, how do we actually obey this on a day in and day out basis, we have to first understand who is the one giving us these words. Who is the one commanding? 
Another thing that we've got to kind of be uprooted from, besides this kind of like, can you command someone to love somebody and trying to understand who it is that's giving us these words. Another thing is that we have to be uprooted to understand this. We have to be uprooted from this like romantic sense of love that is so like um, enmeshed in our feelings. Love only comes from like that gushy part of your heart that romantic tendency that we have, whatever, where everything is, is most real and most authentic, if it comes from our feelings, we have this notion of love. But we've got to be uprooted from that as well. Jesus is calling us to something quite different. He's calling us to be planted in something else, someone else we're called to be planted in. So if I think if, if we want to really understand how it is possible that Jesus commands us to love one another, we've first got to understand who he is, this person who's calling us to love. We've also got to re-understand like what it is that love is altogether. So we can tackle that, right, in 15 minutes? Seems not ambitious at all. Well, um, let me show you what I mean. Let's start with this somewhat cryptic reading from 1 John. It's talking about Jesus. Who is Jesus? If we're going to start with who is Jesus, what is 1 John showing us? 1 John chapter 5, verse 6 that says this. This is the one who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ, not with water only, but with water and the blood. And the spirit is the one that testifies for the spirit is the truth. Well, that doesn't clear much up. What is that supposed to mean? Well, in other words, Jesus is not simply some human being that at his baptism acquired like this divine status. He's not, in other words, flesh and blood that has graduated by good merit to spirit or divinity or water kind of the poetic use that 1 John's using here. No, he's not either or alone, but water and blood. He is truly humanity and truly divine. The full son of God, supremely the son of God, even through his death, the son of God. He was born into the flesh of humanity. God chose the flesh of Mary to incarnate himself to step into the human situation and condition, drawing together as he did the divine life of God and the very messy life of humanity. We see them united in the person of Jesus. Now, I know some of you are already going to sleep thinking, this is like heady theological stuff that you go to seminary to like think about and talk about. Um, But can I, just before you go there, before you write me off, this is the reason you're saved. So this is like super important. In fact, we're going over this in catechism, little plug, you should come to catechism. This is actually the reason you're saved. Because if, follow me, God in his divinity has entered into human life, then it has made possible human life to enter into the life of God. If spirit has entered into blood, then blood can find its way back into spirit. Now that God's love has entered into human life, humans can actually abide in his love like he invites us to. It's possible now in Jesus. Since Jesus is the one who perfectly, without trouble, without any kind of flaw, no discrepancy, Jesus is the one who perfectly kept the commands of God, every single one of them. So now those who are in Christ are free to do likewise. Not under fear of judgment, not out of fear of performance, or even if we mess up at times, but we are actually free under the grace that Jesus has provided for us, the, the grace that he has won for us, we are now free to live obedient lives to God. This is like crazy. 
Because you know what, this is why this is like radically good news, why people call the gospel good news, because it's actually really good news that people like you and I can share in the life of God and that even in our best day and our best obedience, we're still covered in the grace of who Jesus is. And we, when God looks to us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus in us. Friends, this has so little to do with what we've done, but everything that God has done in his divinity, taking on humanity, making for us possible to share in his divinity as well. This is like crazy good news. Let me put this another way. Let me take this out of theology land for a second. Put this another way. Have you ever started a relationship on really bad terms? Yes, raise your hand, it's okay. Where you're already in a deficit, or maybe you're coming home and you know you're in trouble, and you're like, there's just no getting out of this, right? You know you're in a deficit. You're already suspected of something. You walk in the door, no words have been uh, delivered yet, and you know you're already suspected of something. Oh, some of us, we can feel that anxiety in us now, right? And you know you've got to make your way back somehow, but you deep down know there's just no way I'm going to make my my way back from this one. What a drag. What a terrible way to live. Now, okay, that's this side. The other side, now imagine starting a relationship with a reputation that exceeds you. People have been talking about you and they like have talked you up. Imagine starting a relationship on those terms. A relationship where you're already way ahead. You're not in a deficit at all. And imagine that relationship, there's nothing you can do in it to lose that lead, to lose that favor. Imagine that relationship. Who Jesus is, is the one who has put us on those terms with God. We're already way ahead. We're already not in a deficit. We're already receiving the favor of God and his approval and his acceptance and his welcome. This is the place we get to begin in Jesus. That's why people go, man, that's good news. Or think about it this way. You call the bank because you bounced a check. And it's like a huge check. And there's no way that you're going to pay for it. And then you come to find out on the other end of the line, they say, look, that deficit's been paid for. And for some reason, they keep making these huge deposits. Anything you need. Yeah, okay, now we can track with that. That's, you wouldn't get off the phone and say, honey, I've got bad news. No, you'd say, honey, or husband, or whatever. You know, honey, I guess works both ways. I've got great news. You're not going to believe this. This is the, these are the terms that the Lord puts us on in our relationship with God. This is why it's ridiculously good news. Life in Jesus puts us firmly in that new territory. That's where we can actually live our lives in Jesus. Accepted, totally accepted, can you imagine? Totally welcomed. There's nothing, no barrier that can keep you from the love of God. Wait, you're saying I don't have to live in guilt and shame? I don't have to just like limp along in this broken way of life that I'm trying to make the best of. I don't have to live each and every day trying to prove something to myself or to somebody else. Wow, can you imagine a life that's free from that? None of those things plague us. No, in Jesus, in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection, Jesus has reunited us with God on good terms, with favor, in fact. He's made us well. He's healed us. He's actually brought us into this new life with him. Now, in light 
of this, this is the life I'm talking about. This is the life we've been talking about through this whole series in Acts, about we are witnesses. This is the life we have witnessed in Jesus that we now get to receive. On the terms of this resurrection kind of life, on these terms, listen again to what Jesus says in John 15. Therefore, this is my commandment, resurrection people, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. On the sure footing, the undeniably solid footing of Jesus and his resurrection, we're empowered to live free of all this guilt, free of all this trying to prove something. We're actually freed up to obey the things that God commands us to do. And here's the surprising thing. And I think people, when they think, oh, obeying the things that God has commanded us to do, that sounds pretty rough. No, 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 no. You guys, you just don't understand. If that's the way you're looking at this, you don't get it. This life that Jesus is calling us into is the life of the goodness of God. It's like everything good about the way that things ought to be. Jesus is inviting us into this and saying, live this way with me. I've made it possible for you. And here's the surprising thing. When we actually cooperate with God, not out of some like guilt-ridden kind of way, like, oh, I guess I got to get it together today. No. When we actually say, Lord, you have made a way for me. I'm going to cooperate with you. Here's the surprising thing about this. It doesn't fit us kind of strange like clothes that your mom buys you at the store and comes home with, and you're like, this doesn't work, mom. No, this, this command, this way of Jesus, that's never happened to anybody but me, okay. This way of Jesus that he invites us into, that he lays on us, it's not ill-fitting. We actually realize, wow, this is real living. This is real life. This is the real, genuine deal. It's not burdensome. It's not heavy. It's not oppressive. It may be inconvenient at times, of course. It'll mean you have to stop doing things you're doing and turn around from them, those things that aren't cooperating with the way of Jesus. We're gonna have to let those things go. But what do you get in exchange for that, friends? But forgiveness, the spirit of God dwelling in you, presence of God in your life, constantly, never leaving, always abiding, being called a friend of Jesus, walking with him as he makes the, the world new again. That we, there's no surprise where this is all heading when we take on this way of Jesus. We look forward with him and we see what the Lord's up to. He's actually told us, he's revealed all this thing. This is why I'm calling you friends because servants don't know where I'm going, but I call you friends because I've told you where I'm going. Making all things new. The forgiveness of sins, that's where he's going. And we're welcome to join him. We're welcome to, for instance, Imagine a neighborhood that actually does this. Imagine a church who actually lives like this. A people who live for others as Jesus has lived for them. Can you imagine a people that good? People that kind? Friends that would lay down their lives for others? For strangers? For people they disagree with? Friends, we don't have to be afraid of this life that Jesus has invited us into. He's made a way for us. In this way, it actually is not ill-fitting, it's not burdensome, but it's life-giving. Not only for us, but it blesses others. It actually renews the lives of other people. 
We don't have to be afraid because he's freely welcomed all those who leave their old ways, their self-centered ways, and join him in this new resurrection life. And to this, we become witnesses. I wonder if some of you all hear this and think, well, this is for church folks, this whole way of life with Jesus. I'm, I am not in that club. I know you're talking about, Sean, those people, but I'm an outsider. I'm not one of those people. I can barely make it to church. Well, by the way, even the, the people who are in the church don't make it to church on time. So like, you're not that different. But this is, by the way, come to church on time. This is exactly <laughs> what the early church in Acts was working through. This whole insider-outsider thing, Acts was dealing with this too. This radical new resurrection life, it wasn't just for the circumcised Jews. It was pouring into the lives of the outsiders. You would not believe it. Even the Gentiles, holy cow, has everything fallen apart if the Gentiles are being filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know if we can even appreciate how crazy that must have been for the Jews to have witnessed the Gentiles, of all people, getting in on the promise of God. How is it that this is happening, that even outsiders can get in on the promise of God? Is it because God has a gushy heart and he's just like, just like pouring over a bleeding heart for everybody? Well, yes, he does love us, but he loves us so much, not out of a gushy heart, but he's actually made a way for us in Jesus. Jesus is the one who has torn down everything that makes outsiders outsiders. Jesus has torn it down. There are no outsiders anymore. Everyone's welcome into the kingdom. Who he is, this one who is born truly human, if you are a human being, whether Jew or Gentile, whether American or whatever, Texan or not, if you are a human being, Jesus has entered into your humanity and made it possible for you to enter into the life of God. Every wall has been torn down. If you are poor, Jesus was born truly poor. If you had suffered, Jesus has suffered even more deeply than you have suffered. He is present in that suffering. If you've been put down, abused, isolated, scorned, or abandoned, guess what? Jesus has been there and overcome it. And he's even present with you there now, if that's where you are. There is nothing that can keep you out of the life of God anymore because of Jesus. He was faithful. He overcame, overcame those obstacles, even when we weren't able to overcome them ourselves. And when we realize that we can receive this invitation, this way of Jesus and enter into it, when we repent of our self-serving, kind of self-centered way of life, we turn to him, the weirdest things start to happen. If you have the courage to even consider this, the weirdest things begin to happen. Like these uncircumcised Gentile outsiders all are regarded by God's spirit as a fit vessel to be filled with his own presence. Everybody is. Filled with his own power, the power of God. Filled with his voice that you would speak with him and for him into the lives of others. That means anybody can be baptized. Who can we hold the water of baptism from now that Jesus has torn down all barriers? This is what it means when Peter says God has no favoritism. He has no like special insider group. There's no ethnic or cultural or political or moral barrier that can stand in anyone's way of being offered the forgiveness of sins. Friends, you hear this? There's nothing. Name it. It ain't happening. It's been overcome. 
The forgiveness of sins and this new life in Jesus is available to you, even to me. This new life is available. Friends, this is not a message about lowering the bar of Christianity or something. This isn't a message about tolerance. I just want to be super clear about this. It's not, God doesn't want to be, we don't want to be tolerated by God. God doesn't want to tolerate us. He didn't send his son to tolerate us at all, but to welcome us, to forgive us, to heal us, that we would be changed and transformed. That's what God wants with us. So church, this is who you are. These witnesses of the resurrection who've been invited in to this strange new way of life with God, to cooperate with him, to actually obey him, and to find joy in obeying God and his way of doing things. Because we find that God's way of doing things is so life-giving, not only to us, but to others. It's amazing. You'll find that as we do, as we say, Lord, we want to turn from the ways that we have. We want to follow you. We want to make ourselves available to cooperate with your way of doing things. This is what we find, that it kind of works. Like this life with Jesus, it's humanizing actually to us. We discover, oh, this is what it means to be a human being, to live with God in this way. I pray as we come to the table this morning, we would indeed be nourished by that life of God that's so readily given to us that we wouldn't just eat, but we would realize what an amazing gift that God has made a way for us in his son that we can enter into his life even today. Amen? Amen. Let's take a quick moment and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us in prayer. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.